Hello and welcome to Eccentric Earth, the podcast where I, your host, Amy Walker, delve into stories from across history with a guest who has no idea what the topic's going to be. Joining me this week is Chris Haig. Hi. Hi. Welcome back again, Chris. This is going to be three <laughs> weeks in a row now. <laughs> it's it's like a revolving door, really, isn't it? You know, it's like the mob. It's like, just when I thought I'd left you, bring me back in. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I swear last time I was like, oh, like a bad penny. I keep turning up and I'm like, yeah, it's becoming quite true. But it is pretty fun, <laughs> so I don't mind. Yeah, and I've I've had some good feedback, people like you, so... <gasps> you like me! You really, really <laughs> like me! Yeah, that, that, is, that is the gayest thing I've ever said, so thank you for bringing that out of me. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no one's turned around and said, he's, he's a dick. <laughs> which I've had sort of, those sort of comments about other guests, so you're winning, really? you're winning. Oh my god, I'm totally going to ask you who it is after this. I won't, I won't do it while we're recording. Oh, I can tell you while recording. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Oh, um, okay. Some YouTube commenters called uh, Dave Bond a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I love Dave. I really do. That is the funniest thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he managed to I'll piss be... off Canada and they hate him and call him a cunt. <laughs> I mean <sighs> I've called I've 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 called him a, a silly cunt once or twice, but I've never done it with such I've never had the backing of like a full nation behind me. Oh no, this so, this wasn't so... you're a silly cunt, this was we hate you. Like Oh proper, yeah, you proper cunt. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like a capital C, just like you cunt. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> It's a shame. Fun fact: it's my favourite swear word, but I rarely use it because it's a bit, it's a bit like that. Um, a lot of swear words are like salt and pepper. You season them with every, you know, on a, on everything. And mm. cunt is like saffron. It's for special occasions. Yeah. And you just kind of like drop it where it's appropriate. So, <laughs> oh no, I am totally gonna because I've not had to look at the YouTube feed yet, but I am totally gonna look it up partially to see what they're saying about me. Um, <laughs> If anything, and then also to basically reply to the comment of them calling David Cunt and just do like crying with laughter emojis, <laughs> because it's what he it's what he deserves and it's what we love about him. So yeah, it's like I mentioned it to Stacey Taylor and she laughed and went, "Well, yeah, he is." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stacey, she's awesome and oh. true. Yeah, <laughs> he's a he's he's a cunt, but he's our cunt. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really bad we've just spent the first three minutes about this saying the same word more than any other podcast I've ever been on. And you know, it takes some beating because there was a point during like an episode of North by Nerdwest, shameless self-plug, where Emma and I used it a lot describing... What the hell were we... I think we were describing like the backlash to the uh, the Doctor Who 13th Doctor, all that. Mm. And she just went, we're just going to be talking about a load of cuntish behaviour from a load of cunts. <laughs> I just went, can we say it? And she went, cunt, 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 cunt. 
you know, you, you know. just added about seven or eight now. I well. know, <laughs> I know, but I was thinking if we, we've got to kind of push it past, make it a, a dead clear, I'm like, oh yes, episode, sorry, what episode number is the same? 26. <laughs> episode 26. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a friend's episode, it just says, the one with all the cunts. <laughs> Oh, that's a shame. I can't call it that because it's such a nice person this one's about. So. Oh, yay. <laughs> the last episode, that would have been an appropriate title. It would have. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, kind of like the kid and the cunt, really, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> although that sounds like some weird pawn. Anyway, yeah, sorry. I've just checked. We've been talking about this for like four minutes now. Uh, And my subscribers are going down and down. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, come back. Apparently you don't mind me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they didn't before. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's not even a comedy thing. I'm just laughing. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, come on. Breathe. Breathe, man. Breathe. Anyway, so tonight's episode. <laughs> yes, let's let's move away from the cunts and <laughs> delve into tonight's episode. <laughs> Could have been very wrong if you said that wrong way around. <laughs> oh my god, I might actually die. <laughs> okay, right. Okay. Well, if anything, you've given me a good intro, so. <laughs> Oh, I mean, if we're talking about kind of like when people have like misappropriated my voice on a podcast, Tony Black once stole a thing of me laughing so hard and saying the word motherfucker, and he used it <laughs> on a loop as the outro for an episode of, um, it was a film podcast, I can't remember which one, but it was me giggling going, <laughs> motherfucker, like that five times, so no matter what you do to my voice, chances are it'll still be more respectful than what he did. <laughs> Well, I could have you singing cunt, 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 cunt to the uh, <gasps> closing theme music. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say like, over like a trap beat or something. Oh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. I could phrase it together. Ha- <laughs> I, I, like, I genuinely have been listening to a song from Tiana Taylor, who is an American R&B singer, and its song's called WTP, and the chorus literally is just, what this pussy, what this pussy? What? And it's like over like a Vogue trap beat. It's like something from a RuPaul <laughs> video. And I'm like, it's quite like fashion runway strutty so i'm there like da, 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 and i can't sing it out loud otherwise i'm there in tesco's going what this pussy and the people are just there trying to get their sandwiches like who the fuck's this <laughs> this clearly mentally deranged person okay i'm definitely gonna have to make a new song for the for this episode now <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay right i will i will i will focus it's been a very long day <laughs> oh god angry <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Thank God I brought a drink on my... Non-alcoholic, I hope. I don't need you even more uninhibited. Uh, <laughs> when I drink, I don't become like... Because I'm already fairly extroverted. I'm not like super, but I end up becoming uh, very... Like, overly affectionate. I think it's how I want to be all the time. But I am less aware of people's boundaries in the sense of... Like, nothing, nothing creepy, I assure you. But it's more like... If a friend comes up to me and I just start talking about how pretty they are, and I'm like, "Oh my god, you're a goddess!" <laughs> like I once walked, I once walked up with a girl. She was sat next to me on um, on a couch in a Halloween party, and I just looked at her and I went, "Oh my god, are you a model?" And then she hugged me. <laughs> and I remember not being sober for that, and I'm like, "I really should have sold her when I was sober, but it's fine." Before we get into our story, I just want to take a moment to talk to you about the cosplay journal. 
a new coffee table magazine by friend of the show Holly Rose, focusing on the diversity and craft of cosplay. The Cosplay Journal is out now, and I've read the first issue. It's a great read, full of informative articles and beautiful photographs. I'm a geek myself, but I'm not a cosplayer, yet I still found a lot in this magazine to give me a deeper look into this part of geek culture. The book has craft-focused articles on sewing, armour building and makeup, as well as some interviews with some incredible cosplayers, some professional, some simply being the perfectionist amateur. They ask, are cosplay guests worth it in their opinion piece article, and have a handy guide for cosplayers on how to survive a con, which is advice worth reading even if you're not a cosplayer. The Cosplay Journal is available now. You can find it on Amazon for just $9.99, so make sure you pick up your copy today so that you don't miss out. Bessie Lee Pittman was born on May the 11th, 1906, the youngest of five children to Mary and Ira Pittman. Ira was a skilled millwright who moved from town to town, setting up and reworking sawmills. The family was poor, and she claimed in later life that they grew up in relative poverty. At the age of eight, her family moved to Georgia, where she went to work in a cotton mill to help her family make money. When she was 14, Bessie married Robert Cochran. One year later, at 15, Bessie gave birth to her son, Robert Jr. Jesus, that's young. Yeah. <laughs> I know Wait, this is 1920, 15. but Jesus, yeah. Oh my God. Married at 14, had a kid at 15. I mean, I, oh, okay, I was going <laughs> to make a comment then. And I still will. Um, yeah, where I live, there's someone called Belle Isle. If you're from Belle Isle in Leeds, please know that a lot of my family are there, and I'm only taking the piss out of you because it's true. Um, is that the kind of like you know pregnant at twelve, two kids at fourteen? It happens a lot there. Sex mm-hmm. education is kind of like a Shit. like a myth. Lo- it's like a myth <laughs> lost in time. They're like, what's a condom? Fade through the fog. Um, <laughs> So that, uh, it's the first thing I related to when they were like, oh, yeah, 14. Um, mind you, my grandma had my dad when she was 16. So Yeah. I, I, I can't be that Times change. <laughs> Times change. I mean, this was the 60s. So Unfortunately, Robert Jr. would die four years later in 1925, and oh. Bessie would become divorced from Robert Sr. by 1927. Wait, so how old is she? 21. How... Wow. Married. Okay. Had a child, child died, and divorced by 21. Jesus. Well, this poor woman. Yeah. People got a lot of living in back in the day. Well, they did, uh, you know, the, it was like an advanced timeline, isn't it? You're just like, right, yeah, get it all done. Like you might be dead of. by now standards. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like mid 30s, 40s, yeah. Jesus. Oh. Don't worry, it's not all bad. I was going to say, you did tell me before recording, you were like, it's more uplifting than the last one. And I was like, well, the last one was a kidnapper who ended up with a brother who turned out to be a serial killer. So <laughs> pretty the bar's so low, Amy. <laughs> that is literally the saddest point. Oh, no, it's not. It... No, it's not. That massacre. Okay, that was the saddest you've had. But from here on out, this story gets really good. Yeah. So. Oh, I thought you were thought you were meaning like, oh, that's the saddest like you've that you've handled like as a thing. And I was like, oh no, no, no. I remember the was it the McDonald's massacre or something? Yeah. Yeah. That was horrible. <laughs> that that was that was not fun. Uh but yes, Bessie. During her early teens, Bessie had begun working in a beauty shop, sweeping floors, but eventually began to learn how to cut hair. 
After her divorce, she pursued a career in hair and beauty and moved to Pensacola and eventually New York. During this period, she changed her first name to Jacqueline. Whilst in New York City, Jacqueline Jackie Cochran used her looks and driving personality to get a job at the prestigious salon at Saks Fifth Avenue. Okay. Although she denied her family and her past, she remained in touch with them and provided for them over the years. Some of her family even moved to her ranch in California after she remarried. However, they were instructed to always say that they were her adopted family. Okay. Right. Yeah, she's, she's got a very big disconnect with her origin. She doesn't want people to know her roots, no. Oh, okay. Cochrane apparently wanted to hide from the public her early chapters of her life and was successful in doing so with none of the information becoming available until after her eventual death. On a trip to Miami, Florida in 1932, she attended a society dinner and sat next to business financier Floyd Odlum, founder of Atlas Corp and the CEO of RKO in Hollywood. At the time, he was reputed to be one of the 10 richest men in the world. Oh, okay. Though opposites in personality and with a 14-year age difference, they found they had much in common and the two began to see each other, with Odlum offering to help her establish her own cosmetics business. Odlum suggested that Jacqueline learn to fly, to call on clients and gain an advantage over her competition in the beauty business. She returned to New York and over the next four years learned to fly, earning her commercial pilot's license and called on clients and suppliers by flying her own plane. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's oh. pretty badass. Yeah. Odlum who she married in 1936 after his divorce, was an astute financier and savvy marketeer who recognised the value of publicity for her business. Calling her line of cosmetics Wings to Beauty, she flew her own aircraft around the country promoting her products. Years later, Odlum used his Hollywood's connections to get Marilyn Monroe to endorse her line of lipstick. Oh, very nice. During this time, she also befriended fellow aviator Amelia Earhart and began oh. competing in air races. Oh, okay. All right. I like this woman. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you become mates with Amelia Earhart, you're pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> she was one of only three women to compete in the McRobertson Air Race in 1934. By 1935, she was participating in major competitions, winning several over the next three years, and running a multi-million dollar beauty products business. In 1937, she was the only woman to compete in the Benedict's race, and won and worked with Amelia Earhart to open the race to women. That year, she also set a new women's national speed record. By 1938, she was considered the best female pilot in the United States. She had won the Benedict's and set a new transcontinental speed record, as well as altitude records. She also went on to win five Harmon trophies. Before the United States joined World War II, Cochrane was part of Wings for Britain, an organisation that ferried American-built aircraft to Britain. She became the first woman to fly a bomber, a Lockheed Hudson V, across the Atlantic. In Britain, she volunteered her services to the Royal Air Force. For several months, she worked with the British Air Transportation Auxiliary, recruiting qualified women pilots in the United States and taking them to England, where they joined the ATA. Cochrane attained the rank of flight captain in the ATA. Oh, okay, all right, pretty cool. Mm -hmm. In September 1939, Cochrane wrote to Eleanor Roosevelt to introduce the proposal of starting a women's flying division in the Army Air Forces. 
She felt that qualified women pilots could do all of the domestic non-combat aviation jobs necessary in order to release more male pilots for combat. She pictured herself in command of these women with the same standings as Colonel Aveta Kulp Hobby, who was then the director of the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps. That same year, Cochrane wrote a letter to Lieutenant Colonel Robert Olds, who was helping to organise the Air Corps Ferrying Command. Ferrying Command was originally a courier aircraft delivery service, but evolved into the Air Transport Branch of the United States Army Air Forces as the Air Transport Command. In the letter, Cochrane suggested that women pilots be employed to fly non-combat missions for the new command. In early 1941, Olds asked Cochrane to find out how many women pilots there were in the United States, what their flying time were, their skills, their interest in flying for their country, and personal information about them. She used records from the Civil Aeronautics Administration to gather the data. During this period, she also threw herself into air races and began to set records. In 1940, she broke both the national 100km and international 2000km speed records. She won the Women's National Aviation Association Award as the Outstanding Woman Pilot for 1938, 1939, 1940, and 1941. Wow. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Literally the best female pilot in the United States at the time. I mean, I... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just keep listening. I was like, okay, Ellen Roosevelt, very cool, very cool, all that sort of thing. And now the war effort, and I'm just like, oh, how have I never heard of this woman before? Yeah, um, there, there is so much more to come where you will keep thinking that, and then at the end, I think you'll kind of be like me and be quite angry that you've never really heard of this woman. I mean... If it's going the way that I hope it's going, it's going to be like another Elizabeth Fry situation. In Maybe. that it's it, it, in that it's a woman from history who is very cool and did cool stuff, but who I've never heard of. Because I'll be honest, when you were there, like saying, "Oh well, <clears throat> you know, Jacqueline Cochran, that sort of thing," and I was going there, Jackie Cochran, Jackie Cochran, and then all I could think of was Johnny Cochran, like the <laughs> lawyer, and I'm like, "No, it's not no." So yeah, okay. I like I like the sound of this woman. She sounds pretty good. She also established a woman's national altitude record and broke the international open class speed record for both men and women. In spite of pilot shortages, Lieutenant General Henry H. Arnold was the person who needed to be convinced that women pilots were the solution to its staffing problems. Arnold, chief of the Air Corps continued as commanding general of the Army Air Forces upon its creation in 1941. He knew that women were being used successfully in the ATA in England, so Arnold suggested that Cochrane take a group of qualified female pilots to see how the British were doing. He promised her that no decision regarding women flying for the USAAF would be made until she returned. When Arnold asked Cochrane to go to Britain to study the ATA, Cochrane asked 76 of the most qualified female pilots identified during the research she had done earlier for Olds, to come along and fly for the ATA. Qualifications for these women were high, at least 300 hours of flying time, but most of the women pilots had over 1,000 hours. Those who made it to Canada found out that the washout rate was also high. A total of 25 women passed the tests, and two months later in March 1942, they went to Britain with Cochrane to join the ATA. Oh, this is... yeah. Okay, that's cool. All I can think of, and I know it's not a match, but it's just in my head, is Goldfinger. Pussy Galore and her kind of 
her specialist ha- team of female flyers. Yeah, I mean, I think they, yeah. I think he just calls it as like high flying lesbians. He calls them in the book, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, okay. I was like, mm, fair enough. And power to these um, twenty. He said, he said twenty five, and so twenty six. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so cool. While Cochrane was in England in September 1942, General Arnold authorised the formation of the Women's Auxiliary Flying Squadron, the WAFS, under the direction of Nancy Harkness Love. Aha, uh-huh. awesome name. That is pretty cool. Yeah. The WAFS began at Newcastle Air Base in Willington, Delaware, with a group of female pilots whose objective was to ferry military aircraft. Hearing about the WAFS, Cochrane immediately returned from England. Cochrane's experience in Britain with the ATA convinced her that women pilots could be trained to do much more than ferrying. Lobbying Arnold for expanded flying opportunities for female pilots, he sanctioned the creation of the Women's Flying Training Detachment, the WFTD, which was headed by Cochrane. In August 1943, the WAFS and the WFTD merged to create the Women's Air Service Pilots, WASP, or WASP, with Cochrane as director and Nancy Harkness Love as head of the ferrying division. As the director of WASP, Cochrane supervised the training of hundreds of female pilots at the former Avenger Field in Sweetwater, Texas, from August 1943 to December 1944. See, just for for those names alone, <laughs> this needs to be a movie. The special oh, WASP pilots at Avenger Airfield. It's that's cool. <laughs> that is, it's so cool. Because it's like, I, uh, I'm i always really annoyed when I hear this kind of stuff. Not, sorry, I need to phrase that better. I'm always annoyed that I'm only hearing this stuff now. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, we hear so much about like, oh, well, not so much, but it's like the RAF this and all that sort of thing. And yes, of course, important, but, you know, I think, that, you know, they are just as cool. In fact, they went through a hell of a lot more to... Do it. There was societal pressures. There was all kinds of stuff going on. I just yeah, because well, yeah, they didn't just have to go up and be awesome badass pilots. They had to prove that they could go and do it. Yeah, it wasn't it, okay. You're good getting a plane. It's no, you need to let us go in a plane because we can do it. We deserve it. There's that whole extra fight on there as well. Yeah, and then equal. I mean, it's something that has. It's kind of come up a lot with films, but I think the principle is the same, which is just, just like, a woman has to be twice as good as a man in order to be seen as equal, whereas if, you know, it's about like if, if a, a movie directed by a male director flops, it's, ah, oh, well, it's only a film. If a woman by a female director flops, it's women can't direct. And that's, you know, I... I don't identify as female. I'm a, I'm a I'm a cis guy, but that infuriates me on behalf of all my female friends. Mm. This kind of shitty, you know. Oh well, you know, you're not allowed to make mistakes. You have to kind of keep doing it and keep doing all that sort of thing. It's just not. No, yeah. But uh, I would actually really like to see a film. That would be pretty yeah. awesome. For her wartime service, she received the Distinguished Service Medal in 1945. Her award of the DSM was announced in a War Department press release dated the 1st of March 1945, which stated that Cochrane was the first woman civilian to receive it, which was then the highest non-combat award presented by the United States government. At the war's end, Cochrane was hired by a magazine to report on global post-war events. In this role, 
she witnessed Japanese General Tomoyuki Yamashita's surrender in the Philippines and was then the first non-Japanese woman to enter Japan after the war and attended the Nuremberg trials in Germany. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. On September 9th, 1948, Cochrane joined the US Air Force Reserve as a lieutenant colonel. Post-war, Cochrane began flying a new, the new jet aircraft, going on to set numerous records. A lifelong Republican, Cochrane, as a result of her involvement in politics and the military, would become close friends with General Dwight Eisenhower. Uh oh, okay. Yep, another name. <laughs> <laughs> in the early part of 1952, she and her husband helped sponsor a large rally at Madison Square Garden in New York in support of an Eisenhower presidential candidacy. The rally was documented on film and Cochrane personally flew it to France for a special showing at Eisenhower's headquarters. Her efforts provided a major factor in convincing him to run for the President of the United States in 1952, and she would play a major role in his successful campaign. Oh, okay. Yep, so maybe without her we wouldn't have had Eisenhower as President. Yeah, and kind of all the change he did. And... Oh, wow. Close friends afterwards, Eisenhower frequently visited her and her husband at their California ranch, and after leaving office, wrote portions of his memoirs there. In 1952, Cochran, then aged 47, decided to challenge the world's speed record for women, then held by Jacqueline Oriole. She tried to borrow an F-86 from the US Air Force, but was refused. She was introduced to an Air Vice Marshal of the Royal Canadian Air Force who, with the permission of the Canadian Minister of Defence, arranged for her to borrow their sole Sabre 3 aircraft. Okay. Canada Air sent a 16-man support team to California for the attempt. On the 18th of May 1953, Cochrane set a new 100km speed record of 1,050.15km, or 652.5 miles an hour. Jesus! <laughs> yeah. Nice! Later, on 3rd of June, she set a new 15km close-circuit record of 1,078km an hour, or 670 miles an hour. Encouraged by the then Major Chuck Yeager, with whom Cochrane shared a lifelong friendship, on May 18, 1953, at Rogers Dry Lake in California, Cochrane flew the Sabre 3 at an average speed of 652.2 miles an hour. During the course of this run, the Sabre went supersonic, and Cochrane became the first woman to break the sound barrier. <laughs> oh, I love her. Good yeah. job. <laughs> I also love the fact that she turned around to the Americans and said, I want to break the sound barrier. And they were like, nah. So Canada were like, okay, you can have our aircraft. <laughs> and we're just like, it's the only one we've got, but yeah, you have it. <laughs> I just love that Canada were just like, will it piss off the Americans? Yes. Oh, we happen to, you know, oh, you can, you know, maybe use this if you want to. And we happen to have this 16 man crew, just, you know, just in case. Uh, I love that. I, I, I love that too. Um, my two co-hosts um, on uh, Good Evening are Canadian, so I like to think that same spirit of let's do something really nice, partially to annoy the Americans, kind of persists. It does seem to be the Canadian way. <laughs> it's like we'll be real for it. We'll, you know, we'll be really friendly if it annoys the Americans. Well, it's just a, like a fun little, you know, fun little side effect. <laughs> 
Side effect? Side effect? Oh. Side effect? What is wrong with me today? Among her many record accomplishments from August to October 1961, as a consultant to Northrop Corporation, Cochrane set a series of speed, distance and altitude records while flying a Northrop T-38 supersonic trainer. On the final day of the record series, she set two Federation Aeronautique Internationale world records, taking the T-38 to altitudes of 55,252 feet or 16,841 meters in horizontal flight and reaching a peak altitude altitude of 56,072 feet or 17,091 meters. Cochrane wow. was also the first woman to land and take off from an aircraft carrier, the first <laughs> woman to pilot a bomber across the North Atlantic and later fly a jet aircraft on a transatlantic flight, the first pilot to make a blind instrument landing, the only woman ever to be president of the Fédération Aéronautique Internationale from 1958 to 61, the first woman to fly a fixed-wing jet aircraft across the Atlantic, the first pilot to fly above 20,000 feet with an oxygen mask, and the first woman to enter the Benedict's transcontinental race. To this day, she still holds more distance and speed records than any pilot living or dead, regardless of gender. <laughs> oh, I love this woman. Yeah, that that bit there, when I found out all that, I was like, she is the greatest pilot <laughs> ever. Yeah, regardless of gender. Yeah. The, uh, oh, she's the finest woman to ever do it. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's the It's a bit like, you know, when, oh, yeah. Do you know exactly reminds me of where they're like, oh, who's the greatest, you know, tennis player? And they're always like, you know, oh, is it Roderick? Is it Federer? Is it? And I'm like, obviously, it's Serena Williams. Yeah. Obviously, it's Serena Williams. And they're like, oh, but not the best female, best ever. I'm like, no, no. Yeah. She, she's the she best has... female and the best ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, you wouldn't presume she that when it both. was a guy. Yeah, no. she is. She is the best. No one was more shocked than me when she went out on Saturday. But let's be honest, she doesn't have anything to worry about. So, yeah. Sorry, this wasn't supposed to sound like a Serena Williams fan <laughs> thing, but I do love her, and she is amazing. Um, yeah, and she's friends with Beyonce, so I'm pretty good. <laughs> Calm down, Chris. Your gay is showing. Right. <sighs> <sighs> Uh, Politically ambitious, Cochran ran for Congress in 1956 for California's 29th Congressional District as the candidate for the Republican Party. Her name appeared throughout the campaign and on the ballot as Jacqueline Cochran Odlum. Although she defeated a field of five male opponents to win the Republican nomination, in the general election she lost a close election to Democratic candidate and first Asian-American congressman, Dalip Singh Saund. Mm. I mean, I'm slightly disappointed, but then it's like, oh, she lost, She was a Republican and lost to a Democrat? I'm like, mm. Yeah, I can, also I the can, Republicans, I... let's be honest, they've got worse. They weren't yeah. as bad back then. Oh, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. But as someone who would be a kind of like a... A true blood Democrat, if I was an American voter, yeah, I'm like, well, it's fine, and it's also like, you know, to the first Asian American, I'm like, yeah, that's. Yeah, if she's going to lose some way, that's that's the best way to lose. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been cool either way, but like policy wise, I probably would go more Democrat. So okay, 
I, I can take this emotional hit. It's fine. <laughs> um, Sorned won with 54,989 votes, 51.5% to Cochrane's 51,690 votes, 48.5%. So it was an incredibly close race. Her political setback was one of the few failures she ever experienced, and as a result, she never attempted another run. Those who knew Cochrane have said that the loss bothered her for the rest of her life. Because of her interest in all forms of aviation, Cochrane flew the Goodyear blimp in the early 1960s with Goodyear blimp captain R.W. Crozier in Arcon, Ohio. In the 1960s, Cochrane was a sponsor of the Mercury 13 program, an early effort to test the ability of women to be astronauts. 13 women pilots passed the same preliminary tests as the male astronauts of the Mercury program before the program was cancelled. It was never a NASA initiative, though it was spearheaded by two members of the NASA Life Sciences Committee, one of whom, William Randolph Lovelace II, was a close friend of Cochrane and her husband. Though Cochrane initially supported the program, she was later responsible for delaying further phases of testing, and letters from her to members of the Navy and NASA expressing concerns over whether the program was to be run properly and in accordance with NASA goals may have significantly significantly contributed to the eventual cancellation of the program. It is generally accepted that Cochrane turned against the program out of concern that she would no longer be the most prominent female aviator. Mm-hmm. On 17th and 18th of July 1962, Representative Victor Anfuso convened public hearings before a special subcommittee of the House Committee on Space and Astronautics to determine whether or not the exclusion of women from the astronaut program was discriminatory during which John Glenn and Scott Carpenter testified against admitting women to the astronaut program. Cochrane herself argued against bringing women into the space program, saying saying that time was of the essence, and moving forward as planned was the only way to beat the Soviets in the space race. None of the women who had passed the tests were military jet test pilots, nor did they have engineering degrees, which were the two basic experiments experiential qualifications for potential astronauts. Women were not allowed to be military test pilots at the time. On average, however, they all had more flight experience than male astronauts. NASA yeah. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, I was just... When she was like, oh, again, I'm like, well... If it's because they don't have the same amount of training everything, then yes, I can understand, and the degree and all that. But then equally, maybe... Encourage more STEM programs, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, but I mean, I know there's a big push at the moment. It's something that we talk a lot about at unis. Is you know, let's get more kind of gender parity in terms of like STEM courses and all that sort of thing. And I'm just like, well, yeah. And then when I hear stuff like this, I'm like, yeah, no, we could have been doing this like 50, 60 years ago. Yeah, because because you know, I'm I, I don't know when, which is ironic, really, because a woman founded the idea of a university. So it's like, oh, okay. But women only started being able to attend in what, like the twenties, thirties. I honestly have no idea. That's how that you know. That's the kind of stuff they don't tell us. Mm. You know, but mm. see, there is also like she was saying the the political pressure of they need to be the first ones. Yeah, over Russia, and I don't think she was against women doing it because she's been proving time and time again that women are capable. I think. I'd like to think that it was, okay, let's just put this on hold so that we can get the accolade of 
yay America one and then focus back in it. I'm, I could be wrong. She could just not want women to be astronauts, but I don't think that's the case. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Mm. NASA required all astronauts to be graduates of military jet test piloting programs and have engineering degrees. In 1962, no woman could meet these requirements. This ended the Mercury 13 program. However, John Glenn and Scott Carpenter, who were part of the Mercury 7 program, also did not have engineering degrees when they were selected. <laughs> yeah, both of them graduated. This is that bullshit we were talking about. Both of them were granted a degree after their flights for NASA. Women can't do it unless they have this degree that we yeah. didn't have until after we did it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I was like, this is the bullshit that we were just talking about. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> Significantly, however, the hearings investigated the possibility of gender discrimination a two full years before the Civil Rights Act of 1964 made that illegal. Making oh. these hearings a marker of how ideas about women's rights permeated political discourse even before they were enshrined in law. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Cochrane was promoted to a colonel in the United States Air Force in 1969, but retired one year later in 1970. In recognitions of her accomplishments as a pilot, in 1971, Cochrane was enshrined in the Aviation Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, the first Aww. woman to be so honoured. That's awesome. Soon after her induction, Cochrane received the bitter news that she would need a pacemaker and that her flying days were over. Oh no. She retired to her home in Indio, California, to enjoy travel, bike riding, and working in her vegetable garden. Yeah. Her husband Floyd died five years later, and Cochrane's health deteriorated further. On August 9th, 1980, Jacqueline Cochrane died at her home at the age of 74. Oh. She was a lifetime resident of the Kuwaita Valley and is buried in Kuwaita Valley Public Cemetery. She regularly utilised thermal, thermal airport over the course of her long aviation career. The airport, which had been renamed Desert Resorts Regional, was again renamed Jacqueline Cochrane Regional Airport in her honour. Kuwaita. Kuwaita. Wait, do you mean Coachella? Probably. <laughs> oh. Coachella. I was just Coachella like, I, think, I was like, that sounds really familiar. I, okay. I cock up one pronunciation every episode at least. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Cochrane's aviation accomplishments never gained the continuing media attention given to those of Amelia Earhart, but that can in part be attributed to the public's fascination with those who die young at the peak of their careers. Also, Cochrane's use of her husband's immense wealth reduced the rags to riches nature of her story. Nevertheless, she deserves a place in the ranks of famous women in history as one of the greatest aviators ever, and a woman who frequently used her influence to advance the cause of women in aviation. Damn it. Despite her lack of formal education, Cochrane had a quick mind and an affinity for business, and her investments in the cosmetic field provided a lucrative one. Later in 1951, the Boston Chamber of Commerce voted her one of 25 outstanding businesswomen in America, in 1953 and 1954, the Associated Press named her Woman of the Year in Business. In 1985, the International Astronomical Union assigned the name Cochrane to a large 100-kilometer diameter crater on the planet Venus in her honor. Aww. In 1992, she was introduced to the Florida Women's Hall of Fame and in 1993, the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America. 
1996, the United States Post Office honoured her with a 50-cent postage stamp, depicting her in front of a Benedict's Trophy pylon with her P-35 in the background and the words, Jacqueline Cochran, Pioneer Pilot. Okay, that's awesome. That is so cool. She was inducted into Lancaster, California Aerospace Walk of Honor as its first woman inductee in 2006. Blessed by fame and wealth, Cochran donated a great deal of her time and money to charitable works, especially with those from impoverished backgrounds like her own. There you go, that's Jacqueline Cochran. That is awesome. Aww. Yeah, she's a total badass. Yeah. Like, I know I made Elizabeth Elizabeth Fry kind of like, oh, well, you know, famous one, that sort of thing. But she's very different, but I would put them in the same kind of badass kind of classification. Because mm-hmm. they did very different things and had very different attitudes towards, like, you know, family and, you know, you know, relationships and work and all that sort of thing. But they both grafted and, you know, did incredibly well. And, you know, I mean, it was 74 for, for Jackie Cochran. That's fantastic. Oh, and she got all those, you know, Hall of Fame and, you know... She got like a there's a part of Venus named after her, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that that's pretty cool. Part I know of Venus it's named the, after I mean, you. It's like, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. It's <laughs> it's the sciencey stuff that's always if you you know like if you get like a like an element named after you, or like the ideal would be oh yeah like the moon of a planet, you know, because they've just discovered twelve new moons um, orbiting Jupiter, so it'd be like, oh my god, what if we just like what you know I. I would, like, for example, love it if they just started naming them after, like, quite cool celebrities. So there's, like, there's a moon of Jupiter just called Tom Hanks. <laughs> you know. Meryl Streep. Or there's, like, yeah, <laughs> like, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, Obama, you know, just various, you know, because that's, that's, you know, that's fairly substantial. I mean, I know, you know, it's forever, every, everything decays and everything dies and blah, 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 that sort of thing. But it's still really cool while it lasts. So, yeah. Would you like to see a picture of her? Oh, Looking kind of badass in front of her plane. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. This is, um, she's in front of a T-38 here. This is one of the aircraft she broke a number of records with. Oh, wow. She's not how I imagined, but oh my, oh, she looks so cool. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. Oh, she's such a legend. Aw. And there's a uh, her and her um, air race days as well with oh the old school God. leather cap and goggles. I'm getting, she looks like <laughs> a, kind of like a matinee idol. She looks like, you know, yeah, like Theda Barra or some kind of 20s actress. Oh, my God. She definitely made the most of having her own cosmetics and beauty line because she looks I stunning. Mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's two completely different things, but my God, you know, she didn't just excel in one field of being a pilot, she also was like an incredible businesswoman, you know, cosmetics, all that stuff, I'm sorry, that is... Co- Colonel in the you military know. as well. Um, yeah, I'm going to say, you know, worked in the military, yeah. you know, did tons, you know, so many, you know, first woman ever, ever to do this and that, and uh, achievement, she's like the best regarded pilot of all time, and it's just like, wow. And we never get to hear, you know, this is the first time I've heard of her. And admittedly, I'm not a big history buff in the sense of I don't go out and like, cool, I'm going to read up everything about this one period or that sort of thing. But I'm like, even, 
you know, this never gets mentioned. No. Why we out do you know? There's, you know, there's a hundred frigging films about, you know, D Day and Dunkirk and Churchill, and they have their place, you know. And I do appreciate them. I really do. It is important, but you know, sometimes it's cool to let other people and other perspectives have that, you know, that story, that kind of spotlight as well. So. Yeah, especially when you just never hear about them because history, I, history doesn't care about the women a lot of the time. No, if no, that if is they're the... not a white man, chances are whatever they did in history, which was badass and awesome, will get swept under the rug. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you know when I mentioned the whole the thing of oh, it was a woman who invented the idea of university. It was a woman in you know the middle east she was the first like you know like a professor she set up a university all that sort of thing and this was in the middle ages well before the kind of the concept of a you know a school of learning came about Mm. in a formalized setting and it's just like well you know we never hear about this we never discuss it it's never brought up in any history that sort of thing no what do we get we talk about the same bunch of boring white guys i mean it's like i read a book and i really this is you know, plug number seven that I do, <laughs> that I'm unpaid for, where I'm like, oh, I was listening to this song and all that sort of thing. There's a book called The Nowhere Girls by Amy Reed, and it's mm. about um, kind of, it's about a small town and there's like uh, sexual violence and it's about kind of like girls standing up to kind of stop this widespread kind of horror going through their town in terms of, you know, it's a bunch of football players who are going around and sexually assaulting girls now there's a part in the book where it turns out the football coach is also the english teacher and it's at the start of the year and he gives a list of everyone they're gonna do and it is literally all the same vanilla white guys Mm. with the same perspective you know it's like it's it's like three months of hemingway and you know you know like like Moby Dick, and all that sort of thing. There's never any women. There's no people of color. There's no, you know, LGBTQIA people. There's just nothing. It's just straight white guys the whole time, and it just. And then when it gets brought up, because he's, he's the embodiment of this kind of like toxic masculinity, macho pride shit. He then starts going off saying like it's you know it's fucking liberals. It's f this f that all that sort of thing. So and it's just very important when you do look through history. It's like I. And I, if you did GCSE, GCSE history, you might understand. Not everyone did it. it wasn't a, it's not a required thing in the UK. You can um, pick to do history or do something else or yeah. whatever. Yeah, um, I did history, and it was a lot of World War Two about Hitler, which mm-hmm. I, understandable, but like he doesn't need to be about everything. It sounds like I, I honestly don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean, like you know, no, obviously but there is ref- more to even the last one hundred years than yes, World War Two. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and then we got to touch on the civil rights thing, which was great. But then we spent quite a lot of that talking about like the, how the white people were affected by it. And I'm like, <laughs> looking back on it, well, no, no, but looking back on it, I was like, oh, okay. And looking on it now, I'm like, well, that's fucked up, you know. So about the civil rights movement, and we talked a tiny bit about Selma, a tiny bit about Martin Luther King. It was more about JFK policy, and I'm like, yeah, but he's not. He didn't make no. civil rights happen. You know, he wasn't like a thing. You know, and, I, I I'm it. guessing they didn't really cover the bad side of 
white people during the civil rights and the KKK and all stuff like oh, that. Oh, well, we covered a bit of the KKK and that was a bit of what I can now kind of ascribe to like white guilt being like, oh my God, that's awful. I'd never be like that. And yet, you know, I'm speaking as a white guy. There are still plenty of times when there'll be something on TV or there'll be something that'll pop in my head and I'll recognize it and I'll be like, oh shit, what the hell's that from? And that is from, you know, generations and kind of, you know, decades of racist shit being fed to us that we don't even know about or get even consciously think. You know, I dare say there's anyone who would be like, oh yeah, I'm openly racist or even think it to themselves, but there'll still be the odd kind of presumptions or things or you know that that happen unconsciously and that you check yourself on but they're still there and you still need to kind of work on it you know it's yeah it was it was an interesting <laughs> it was an interesting gcse to take <laughs> um in the sense of oh wow okay so we're gonna be, you know we did a lot on like the russian revolution again more white people um yeah <laughs> well, well we did they thought oh great you know we'll do civil rights it'll be kind of you know quote-unquote, diverse. But they spend more time talking about JFK and kind of the Bay of Pigs and, you know, all that sort of thing. And I was like, well, okay. But you never get, like, oh, hey, so here's how slavery and Harriet Tubman, or you never hear about, like, you know, anything that isn't in the Western Hemisphere. So it's it's a shame. And I know Jackie Cochran is just kind of symptomatic of that. And I know, you know, it, it, she played a... I won't say small, but she 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 played a significant role in the war. Yeah. Um, not necessarily, I would say, a major one, but it was still significant, and she definitely, you know, did her part, and you know, was fantastic and amazing. And I'm just annoyed and a bit not not upset. That's not the word, but annoyed and frustrated on her behalf as to like, well, why aren't we being taught about this? Why aren't we mm. kind of discussing this more? You know, there's so many amazing, incredible women and people of colour and, you know, queer people whose history is basically extra, you know. It's not part of the main curriculum, you know. Yeah. It, it's like I had a friend who did history and he said, oh, you know, one of our electives was black history. And I was like, what, you're going to cover all of black history in, like, a semester? You know, how come they spend, you know, three years talking about white people across the world and yet black history, you can, yeah, yeah, we'll do it in six weeks. You can't do that in six weeks. You can't do like feminism and women in six weeks. You can't do kind of how queer people have had to kind of survive and thrive and, you know, do that in six weeks. But all of a sudden, oh no, three years is just a jumping off point for straight white cis guys. Yeah. And it's. Sorry. It's one of those things. I'm really happy. No, no, it's it's fine because it's like I've got a list of topics and people that I want to cover in this show, which is always expanding because I'm always on the lookout for for new things whether it's websites were like oh check out this unknown person from history or even just going on wikipedia and clicking the random article button to see what comes up yeah and so i'm always getting little bits where it's like with jackie Cochran, it's like oh check out this woman she is one of the best pilots ever she's got all these records so that's what i knew going in and i started researching it's like okay but she was also married to one of the richest men in the world she's got her own multi-million dollar company she worked in the air force she was involved with astronauts and nasa she did all these other things and it's like well i i was shocked to learn that whilst i already knew a little bit about who she is and the next episode i'm researching at the minute it's 
another person who I'd never heard of before, but it popped up as, you should check out this person because they did ABC. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And now I've looked in more into it and it's like, okay, but that's just the surface. They've done so much <laughs> more. And it's how the hell are these people getting raised? And it, time and time again, it is women, people of colour, queer people, and it annoys the shit out of me, I have yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And yeah, I've done a number of topics which are white cis men because there are some that are just great stories I want to mm. tell, like yeah. Robin Friday because it was fucking ridiculous or well, Colonel I, I, Sanders because it's like, <laughs> what, he, he did what as well? He had 60 yeah. years before he even did chicken? Yeah. But I, know that I, I was... want a lot of these to be, you've never heard this person at all. You probably never will. Yeah. Here's something about them. Yeah. Oh, listen, that is totally fair. I mean, I was going to bring up Robin Friday anyway, because I mentioned, and this is like an aside, but it does tie in, I promise. So my dad picked me up from work today as we were driving home. Um, I mentioned I was on tonight and he went, I've never heard of Eccentric Earth. I'm like, cool, right. Sit down. You're already sat down. You're driving, but sit down further. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, so it's like cool people from history who you've never heard of or who are kind of like underappreciated or underrecognized that sort of thing. He went, oh, okay. I says, well, one you would appreciate is Robin Friday. And so as we're driving, I brought up um, the Wikipedia article and I was reading him stuff, and he's crying with laughter at the in the car. Yeah. And he's like, well, how you know. I've never heard of it. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Is that shit like this, you know, and this this is a, you know, a presumably straight, you know, cis white guy, you know, he technically should kind of be like one of the foremost to go and, you know, be in the history of things. And yet he still gets, you know, pushed but aside with a bit. him as well. He also, in his history, he had an interracial marriage when that was a no, no. Yeah. And he had issues with drugs and drink, which mm. they want to sweep that under the carpet. So it's like, a guy who is legit one of the greatest footballers ever, and no one's heard of him. Yeah, it's a bit like kind of like George Best went through a lot of the same things, and yet everyone knows who he was. Mm. You know, he was kind of notorious. You know, drinker. He went through two livers and all that sort of thing. But you know, everyone's heard of him. No one's heard of Robin Friday. You know, so it's you know it's the cool thing about going back in time with the history and kind of exploring it. Um, and you can kind of, in 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 a way, it's almost a bit like um, again another last plug. I promise. Um, <laughs> you is, say that I, every time. <laughs> I know. I can't help it. I it's because it so much reminds me of different things. So it reminds me a bit of um, you know the Disney movie Coco. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. the the new one, isn't it? The, the new one about the Mexican well, Day of the Dead. And uh, CG animated one. Yeah. Yes. It's it's. Awesome. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Um, I haven't yet. I will at some point, I promise. <laughs> oh, it's... Oh, no, you'll, you'll cry. I mean, I, I'm I'm emotional at the best of times. I cried, like, three times. It was... It's a lot. But it's, it's based on the idea that people will... Um, as long as you keep talking about people, they'll uh, remember. As it, and, that, and that literally kind of keeps your soul alive. So when you've gone... People will talk about you, and if they talk about you in a kind of a really positive way, in a really cool, loving way, um, that's what keeps your soul alive, effectively, and that's what keeps you happy and kind of sustains you. It's similar to what the ancient um, Egyptian pharaohs used to do, because mm. there was an Egyptian pharaoh um, by the name of I think her name was it's not it's not Nefertiti. It's um, there's another one. I feel real bad because I can't remember. But basically, she was removed from history because they didn't like the idea of someone who was very, you know, 
masculine and aggressive and all that sort of thing of her being a woman. So they erased her from history, you know, chipped her name off, all that sort of thing, because they believed that by removing her, you know, her legacy would no longer be there. You know, that no one, she'd feared from history and that her soul would never be at rest. Now, I think it was about 60 years ago, they found her tomb and found out a lot about her. Um, and so there was a great little cartoon going around of like, now that her soul's been kind of reawakened and being saved and people are talking about her and wonder about who she is, she's finally at peace. Mm. So it's it's similar in the way that we kind of, history shows us the way to move forward, but it also lets us kind of pay respects to the people who have come before because, you know, as you know, you and I can speak as queer people, a lot of the time, you know, and there is a big, there is like a generational thing where a lot of time it's presuming, oh, well, things have always been fine, like gay people, and it's like, no, they're not. I grew, I grew up as a teenager in like the early to mid-2000s, and it still fucking sucked. Mm. Ten years on, and everything seems way more positive, way healthier. But that's because people have actually had to fight for it. But you don't just forget your history. You don't forget about the people, you know, at Stonewall. You don't forget the people who, you know, fought for LGBT rights in the same way. You don't forget the people who fought for, you know, civil rights, for, you know, the right for women to vote, for suffragettes, all that sort of thing. So that's that. That's the beauty of it, in that it kind of shows you, oh, wow, so this person had a massive impact. And then also, why aren't we talking about this person more? Why aren't they, you know, don't they have, like, you know, exhibitions and galleries and films made and, you know, retrospectives and all that sort of thing, you know? It's it's woefully underrepresented in terms of... I can't even say, really say minorities because women aren't the minority, you know? There are more women out there than men. Yeah, but they are so. treated in the same way that minority groups are, mm. in the sense yeah. of they will have rights taken away or sort of yes. pushed back or they have to work to prove themselves where mm. men don't. So, yeah, they're not technically a minority, but they they are not in the... They're, they're treated as if they are. Yeah, you know, the, the world's a patriarchy, so women get shit on. At the end of the day, it's it's unfortunately the way it is. For now. Yeah, and it's changing, <laughs> and we're working on it, but yeah, yeah that's, this, that's this where it's... This is the part it's... where I'm like, brothers and sisters, <laughs> smash the patriarchy. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. Um, yeah, I think we're living in very confusing, um, I, I, dark in some ways, but also quite, it's frustrating and tiring and all that sort of thing. But like, I'm also really inspired mm. in a way because like so many disparate groups of people are kind of coming together under kind of common enemies or are working together for common goals. And I'm like, well, that's good. In a way, I certainly don't wish that this kind of, you know, current administration, all the stuff that's going on, I certainly don't wish it was, like, happening, but I'm glad that we're talking about it enough and we're not kind of lying down and accepting it and we're kind of going like, no, this isn't, you know, this isn't fair. People should have the right to, you know, to marry whoever they want. They shouldn't, you know, have the right not to discriminate against anybody. You know, all that shit. <sighs> Somehow I feel all of our episodes end like this. It starts off with jokes and then it ends in like a very tired kind of queer sigh about the patriarchy. So <laughs> oh, it's fine. It happens. I just was like ah. Oh. Well, 
where can people find you online, Chris, if they enjoyed this episode and want to hear more of you and your opinions and views and ramblings, all the fun stuff? I just love the idea that people are there like, we must listen to him. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> basically, okay, so you can find me on Twitter, hi underscore boy. I basically just, whenever I actually, I, I retweet a lot. Uh, and whenever I do actually tweet, it's usually me going like, oh my God, this song's amazing. Or, oh my God, this exhibit's good. Oh, this book's great. So if you want just like gentle kind of, hey, try this out stuff, then feel free. Um, I So there are two podcasts that I am co-hosts of. First of which is Good Evening and Alfred Hitchcock podcast, which is uh, me and two of my Canadian um, mates. It's Brandon Shea Matala uh, and Tom Caldwell. So we're basically doing a comprehensive chronological look at all the Hitchcock movies. So we have finally moved into the talkies. So we're tackling some of like the kind of hidden gems from the 1930s before we start moving on to the bigger ones. But we've gone through the silent era. We've gone kind of into uh, Bates Martell a little bit. We're going to be very excited once we get to like the psycho rear window Virgo era. But please do check us out. We are on... Um, we're on Google Play, Spotify, Podbay, uh, iTunes, and we are part of the Fandom Podcast Network, so please, please, please check us out. Uh, the other po- podcast that I do is me and Emma Platt. Uh, we do a very nerdy chat hangout podcast very sporadically because we're both super busy. <laughs> it's rare that we actually get a chance to sit down and just actually chat, um, and that is called North by Nerdwest. You can find that on iTunes. Um, we are both on Twitter as well as is North by Nerdwest, so feel free to send us a message um, with any kind of episode ideas, anything you want us to talk about. Uh, we'll be more than happy to do that, but it's basically two, two best mates kind of just chatting and nerding out a bit. Cool, and definitely go check out those shows. They are really good fun. So, Oh yeah, like, I mean, any show I'm going to be in, I'm never going to do... Actually, this is probably the most serious podcast I've done, because it's like, oh wow, no, I can't really joke about people dying, so... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you, well, no, you can, like, but you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't. You know, it's like people who complain, like, "Oh, I've got free speech to, like, you know, say whatever I want." Yes, you do, but you shouldn't because that doesn't make you immune then to people doing shit because you're saying mean shit about people. So, uh, yeah, it's yeah, this is more serious, but both those podcasts are just fun and they're kind of discussion and analysis. Um, and they really do run the gamut of stuff. And I have amazing co-hosts. I'm very, very lucky. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can follow us on social media as well. Our Twitter is at eccentric underscore earth. Our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash eccentric earth. And we're on Instagram. You can find the show on all major podcast providers and YouTube. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Well, thank you very much for for joining me again. I hope this made up for the last episode. And I it's mean, it's horror it was... and depression. <laughs> hey, listen, I maintain the one last week. It had such a cool twist. I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and this one was kind of it. It was a bit of a, I suppose, like a palate cleanser, really. And it's like, cool, you know, awesome, badass, empowered women who can, you know, fly across the ocean and, you know do a good lip who you know that's awesome but no thank you for having me on it's always um a massive 
I wasn't, well, I was going to say a massive joy, but then some of the shit you put me on is quite depressing. It's always fun, <laughs> and it's always interesting. Uh, and Frank, you know, and this is the first one you've listened to with me, it's quite often weird. Some of the, some of the, my kind of favourite ones have been like the real, like, weird tinfoil hat stuff, <laughs> which I love. I'll have to get you on a uh, another Mothman-esque episode I, then. I was going to say, that, <laughs> that's the one I use to describe it whenever people ask what it is. I'm like, listen, I've jumped from like a massacre to Mothman to, you know, inspirational women, all that sort of thing. And they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I run the gamut. I have a full range. <laughs> <sighs> well, I, I do like to throw the weird stuff in there because history isn't just the real things. There's a lot of things. Well, I say the real things. There's a lot of documented stuff which falls into the realm of strange, unusual, supernatural, did it or mm-hmm. didn't it happen? And a lot of these things do influence the world in a way, like conspiracy theories, aliens, monsters. So it has a part in history, and I think we should cover it. And some of it is just fun and interesting as well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right. Your next one's going to be a weird one, then. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. Bring it on. Well, thank you everyone for listening and we will catch you again next time. Bye. Bye. Oh my god, you're a goddess. What this pussy? What this pussy? What this pussy? <laughs> Nothing creepy, I assure you. Cunt, cunt, cunt. A silly cunt. Cunt, 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 cunt. A lot of cunts. The kid and the cunt. The one with all the cunts. Cunt is like saffron. Oh my god, you're a goddess. What this pussy? What this pussy? What this pussy? <laughs> Nothing creepy, I assure you. Cunt, 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 a silly cunt. Cunt, 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 a lot of cunt. The kid and the cunt, the one with all the cunts. Cunt is like saffron. Oh my god, you're a goddess. What this pussy? What this pussy? What this pussy? <laughs> Nothing creepy, I assure you. Cunt, 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 a silly cunt. Cunt, 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 a lot of cunt. The kid and the cunt, the one with all the cunts. Cunt is like saffron. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker.